the Christian is told in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 5 of Ephesians what he or she must not do. But the Christian life is more than avoiding the wrong. It includes taking steps, putting forth effort to be something other than the disastrous image of a human that we saw in those 14 verses. We are not to model our lives after the unredeemed people. People who are captured and molded by this world system, the world's way of thinking and doing. In verses 15 and following, though, we are shown what it means to live out the Christian life, how it's done, what it looks like. The Christian life is one that is dominated by the work of the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God at work in our hearts and then through our lives is what it means to live out the Christian life. And so what we're going to look at is what it means to live the Spirit-filled life. Now, many of you have heard that phrase, Spirit-filled living, Spirit-filled pastor, Spirit-filled Christian, all of those things. And you've heard it, and I've heard it a lot too. And I want to caution you about those that have taken this phrase and written whole books about it and said things that the Bible never describes. There is no formula here. There is no secret prayer that if you pray this, you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit-filled prayer. There's no such thing as those things. The Bible doesn't instruct us in that. Instead, the Spirit-filled life is a way of life. It's a way of living. And in short, it is living under the control of the Spirit of God. But I want us to see this morning a little bit of what it looks like. And what it means and how it works itself out. It's nothing mysterious. These things are pretty straightforward. But we do find out that the Spirit of God is at work in the life of the Christian. And sanctification, our growth in the Lord, is completely and totally dependent upon the Spirit of God. And the means by which He gives us that He will work through us. The Holy Spirit of God does not work just on any old basis that we determine. He works in our lives on the basis of what he says. And may I say this to you? The ways that the Holy Spirit says that he works are pretty plain. They're just, they're pretty simple, really. There's there's nothing out there in the other world that you're looking for to somehow mysteriously connect with the Holy Spirit. If I can say it this way, and if I'm saying this in a disrespectful way, may God forgive me, but the means that the Holy Spirit uses to fill our lives with Himself are really, the means themselves are pretty boring. There's nothing fantastic about all of it. If there's one thing that I could, I wish I could do for Christians, it would be this. Well, maybe two things. Quit being so Christian. Just this pop, flaky Christianness, it just drives me insane. Just, yeah. And then the other thing is, quit looking for a secret formula. Just, just do what the Bible tells us. It just, it's just pretty simple. It's straightforward. Now, the things that we're being told to do, they go against the natural man. That is for sure. And it is a battle. That is for sure. And it takes great effort. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's simple. It's not complicated. See, the Bible is not written so that only the scholarly can get anything out of it. It's not written for that, that, that means. Listen, even if you can't read, someone reading the scripture to you is enough for the Holy Spirit of God to work in you in a dynamic way. So you, 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 this is not a classroom like, you know, some of you, especially some of you guys, you know, you, you, you made it to the fifth grade and then you charmed your way through the end. You, you have no idea what you're doing in a book. And, and so, you know, here, here's what you think hell would be. Hell to you would be a library. Okay, so listen, I feel your pain. I know, I know where you're coming from. I, I get it. 
Christianity ain't that. Okay, we, we are to be learning constantly. But you, you, the Bible's not written so that only the really intellectual people can get it. This is about the Spirit of God at work in you. Now listen, the hard stuff, I'll explain it to you. The rest of it, which is 90% of the rest of it, you can get on your own. Okay, so if you get stuck, I'll help you. But this is not about who's the smartest here. This is about God. This is about Him working in the life of a person. And that would be your life. And He works by the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is intangible. That's a fancy word to say you can't touch Him or anything. That You can't see Him. So it does make it a little odd. And so sometimes because we can't, you know, we're so material in our understanding and our, the way we see things and we're, we're, we, we see the world that way is mechanistic and, and material and so on. And, and so as, as Christians growing up in Western civilization, in this Western culture, when something is not that, we're like, I, I, I don't know. And we come up with, we start coming up with formulas and things so that we can feel better. Listen, man, you don't, this is not about algebra, okay? We're not trying to figure that. We're just trying to say this is how God works and you have to, by faith, just believe it, okay? Whether you feel it or not, you believe it. Okay, so here's what it means to, to, to live the Spirit-filled life. First of all, it means to live productively, to live productively. Now, verses 15 and 16 speak to that. Now, look what it says. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so you have the word, look carefully, then. And so the word then is really reflecting back on, you know, be imitators of God, uh, not into sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, slander, foolish talk, filthiness, you know, all of these things, idolatry, you know, all, the whole thing. Don't act like, in, in short, don't act like the sons of disobedience. Okay, don't walk that way. Don't live that way. Everybody else is doing that. If you're careless, that's how you live. It's easy to live like everybody else. So as a Christian, then because of that, because we're to be imitators of God, we're to walk as children of light, so then look carefully how you walk. Now, what does this mean? Okay, so we're, we're to, to live productively, we have to have constant attention to wisdom. Verse 15, walk, look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, this, this word, you know, to look carefully how you walk, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of words that it's a command, and it's the kind of command that just keeps on giving. Just keep on following this command. And so the idea here is be constantly living carefully. In, in other words, be careful always to live wisely. Now, what does the Bible mean by wisely? What does it mean to, to be wise? Now, hold on. Just, I, one of the things that you must do if you're ever going to learn anything from this pulpit you're going to have to lay aside what you think you know. So, some of you are so set in what you think you know, you don't ever hear God. So you're, you're going to have to lay aside what you think wisdom is. Wisdom is not attained. The, the wisdom we're talking about here in the scripture. Wisdom is not attained by living a long time. I, I've met a lot of old fools. Okay, so it's, you don't just get wisdom because you live a long time. I mean, some people do stupid for a really long time. Okay, so it's, it's not that. Now, do you, do you get some folk wisdom? Hopefully you do. You get some just kind of everyday common sense uh, from living a long time and making enough mistakes. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some things like, but that's not the kind of wisdom that the Bible is speaking of here. We're talking about a higher wisdom than that. We're talking about something beyond that. And so the, the kind of wisdom, what, what does it mean to live wisely here? It means this. It means that we must know God's purpose for placing us in this world. You say, well, oh, I know it, it, the purpose God placed me here was to, to be a, a pastor. Or God placed me here to be a teacher. Or God placed me here to be an electrician. Or God placed... No, 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 no. No, no. That, that's your vocation. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify Him. 
The only reason that God has placed you in this world is so that you can bring positive attention to him at all times through your life. You are to be someone who makes God famous all the time. That's your purpose. You are a little messenger of the king. That's your purpose. Now, wherever you work, whatever you do, that's your, that's your platform. That's your pulpit. Where, whatever you do, wherever you work, that's your pulpit. But that's, the pulpit's not your purpose. The pulpit that you have that God's given you is your opportunity. Some of you, your pulpit is in the home with your children. And then you have friends. You, you've been giving these opportunities. But that's, that's just the opportunity. That's not your purpose. Don't confuse it. Your purpose is to bring positive attention to God through your life. That's what we say, to glorify Him. Let people see the glorious character and nature of God. Point to that at all times with your life. It means also this. It means that we live with our heavenly inheritance as our goal. Rather than living to compile here honor and wealth and status in this world. It means to live for the eternal rather than for the temporary. We live carefully and wisely when we watch ourselves and we make sure that we're not being drawn into the world's way of thinking and living, which, it's, which the world's way is simply this, to glorify self and enjoy all that we can here while we can at all costs. That's the world's philosophy. Glorify self and enjoy all you can here while you can at all costs. It's living as if nothing else exists but this world. In other words, you're putting down all your chips on this world. And you're seeking to derive all of your entertainment, all of your life, all of your joy, all of your happiness, all of your everything. You're trying to gain it and dredge it out of this swamp of the world. That is what it means to live according to the world system. The world system doesn't know anything of gaining joy and happiness and contentment and gladness from God. In other words, they look at that as, my goodness, that's a killer. To What? Talk to people of the world. Here's, here's the worst thing that you can say. Here's the most horrifying thing you can say to a person who is, is bent on living for the world. Here's, here's the worst thing you can possibly say to them. And it would just horrify them. Let's go to church. They see it as agony. And may I say to you, dear Christian, if this is agony for you, you are worldling. Just plain and simple. You're a worldling. You are, your heart has become so thrilled by the things of the world and living for those things and living for yourself that you can't for a moment even enjoy God. It's not thrilling to you because you've allowed the world system. You're not walking carefully. You become careless in the way you live. And as a result of that, the vacuum that was created in your life is now being filled by the way the world thinks. Do you know why you shouldn't watch too much television? Because it's all the way the world thinks. And it's an indoctrination. Do you know why you shouldn't spend too much time uh, on the internet and Facebook and other things? Because it's worldly. It's the world's way of thinking. So, oh, pastor, I put a scripture verse on there. That should change everything. <laughs> it's worldliness. Let me, let me tell you how that stuff is. It's, that, that stuff is so self-focused. Do you know what you're doing? It's like this. Here's a picture of what I ate for lunch. And then you're just waiting for everybody to go, like, 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 oh, that looks delicious. Oh, my. And all of those things. And what if they don't? Do you know why you feel that way? You're living for your own glory. My kid picked up a stick today. Look at him. We've never had a kid in the history of the world pick up a stick like that. My kid can count to seven. Shocker. My kid's so smart. Well, I know. All the rest of ours is dumb. <laughs> it's like a bunch of children. 
And so what is it? You're wanting people to just notice you. Notice, notice, notice. And people get obsessed with that. What, what it, why is it? Because it's worldliness. It really, really is. Now listen, I'm not saying you have to delete your Facebook account, okay? Some of y'all keep up with your kids and grandkids and so on and all of that. That's, that's, that's all well and good. It's, it's fine. It's, it's communication that way. It's, it's fine. But I'm just saying, if you're living for that kind of thing all the time and your mood swings back and forth based upon it, you've got a problem. Listen, people uh, are lying to you. People that don't even know you. Like, they don't like it. They just want you to like back. Heart. Ding. These are the kind of things that, you know, well, never mind. Being world, you have to, you have to be on your guard is what I'm saying. You, you just have to be on your guard. We live carefully when we watch ourselves. And we make sure that we're not being drawn into the world's foolishness. And their way of thinking, their way of living. See, it's not just about avoiding the, the biggies. You know, we saw all these bad things that, that the world does. That, that's just an outgrowth. That's just a manifestation of the way they think. The way they think is glorify self, do whatever I have to do in this life to get everything out of it that I want for my own entertainment, no matter what it costs. That's the world's thinking. They want to add a little, sprinkle a little Jesus in there so it's respectable, but that's still about glorifying themselves. They don't want enough Jesus that's going to offend anybody and lose friends over it. They don't want that, but they want enough to say, yeah, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm." And so that's that's what they do. That's worldliness. It's just worldly. Glorifying self. That is, the Bible says, it is, and let's put it kindly, unwise. The other way to say it is it's moronic. Remember the man who did this in the Gospels? He expended his life for nothing but more gain. He was a good guy. Well liked in the community. Never hurt anybody. Nobody would say anything bad about him. I'm sure he was a philanthropist. And, and knowing that he gave to causes outside of himself. And, and you know they would put plaques up in the picnic shed. You know of the civic group given by so and so. And all of that. I, and I'm sure he was that kind of guy. But, but what was his obsession His obsession was to gain more and more and more. Now, why does he want more? I mean, I'm sure greediness is part of it. But the other issue is sense of security. His sense of security was completely in having more. I'll I'll build bigger barns and, and gather more. And so his sense of security was all wrapped up in that. Not only that, his his sense of worth was wrapped up in his net worth. That's how he felt good about himself. And he got the admiration of the community because of all that he had done. And he expected special privileges and expected people to just part out of the way when he walked down the street because he's a rich man. And what happened when it came for him to die? The Bible says that, the God, call, that God calls him, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then who will all these things be? A fool. Why? It was all worldly thinking. Now listen, this is not about wealth. This is not the point here. There there are Christians that have their heart and their mind firmly set on Christ. And for whatever reason, God has given them opportunity. I had a friend like that. He felt real guilty all the time. I said, dude, you have the gift of Midas. He said, what is that? I said, everything you touch turns to gold, man. And he says, it's uncomfortable. And I said, brother, this is what God has given you in life. Now, what you have to do is view it properly and use it wisely. Okay, this is not about you got to become poor to be godly. Please don't go down that road. It's dumb. Okay, this is not it. But you can't live for this stuff. If you start living for it, then you'll find out. And so it's, just, it's, it's that with, with anything, though. It's not just wealth. It's, it's anything can be that way. We can even start living for our children rather than for God. It seems so Christian almost. So we're a fool when we live according to the world system. Living productively means be wise in God's eyes. Have the right aim to glorify Him at all times and always in everything that I do. And live for that. Make that what I live for. It's just that and that alone. 
So living productively requires this constant attention to wisdom, but also consistent application of the wisdom. And verse 16 really explains how you apply it. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What does that mean? Well, the KGV has redeeming the time. And I think that's probably helpful. Redeeming the time does mean that we make good use of the time. That, that is true. But if you think about redeeming something, what does it mean? It means that you've got to pay something to get that back. That what you want, you've got to pay something. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you redemption price in order to get it. What do you have to do to redeem your days? What are you going to have to do in this context to redeem your life? In other words, to make your life worth something. It's going to cost you. It will cost you something in order to redeem the time that you have. See, the devil, he of course would love for us to be involved in all kinds of heinous sin that we've already pointed out here. Of course he would love that. But do you know how he's most effective? He's most effective in the Christian life in this way. Just to make you waste your life on trivial things. You see, because both both things are effective. Both things in, in his realm are effective. One, to have you so ensnared in sin that you're not doing anything to bring glory to God. Or... If you're the kind of person that has a strong moral code, like, I'm not going to do those things. Well, then what are you going to do? He's going to cause you to get ensnared, entangled in things that are just trivial and cause you just to waste your life. Just waste it. And, and you, you know, you, you may have never done any of the biggie sins. Good for you. Amen. But you've wasted your life on the trivial, on things that really don't matter. He, he doesn't have to lead you into overt evil to waste your life. Instead, he can just entice you to pilfer your life away on trivial things. See, your days then become worthless for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's enough for him. He just wants your life to be worthless for God's sake. That's enough for him. So how do you fix the problem? How do you not do that? It's going to cost you. To redeem cost something. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you your sin. Sin takes up time, by the way. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your laziness. It's going to cost you your lethargy. It's going to cost you your carelessness. It's going to cost you your excessive leisure. And it may even cost you money. But it's going to cost you. You will have to exchange these things wherever necessary so that you then can spend your days in service to the Lord. We had some friends once. It was a deacon family. And I'm not going to out them. They weren't at this church or anything. But just precious, sweet people. And he wasn't a deacon yet. and, And the church had great confidence in him. But he wasn't a deacon at our church because uh, they had a, a, a kettle corn business. They were retired people, but they enjoyed going around to fairs and events and, and doing kettle corn. And, you know, they had one of those big pots and all of that. And they would cook that and they would sell it, at, you know, a little booth. And, and they weren't getting rich off of it. They just liked doing it. And so they were out of church and at, for at least once a month with that thing. And I, I was trying to talk to him. I said, you know, bro, you're not doing anything that's, that's wrong. I mean, as far as I know, kettle corn's pretty good stuff. I mean, it's great, you know. Uh, it's fine. But the problem is that you are pilfering your days away that could be used in service to the Lord. You're doing that. And not only that, you, you can't aspire to the office of deacon because we can't depend on you. We, we don't know when you'll be here, when you won't be here. Eventually, he had an open heart surgery. And after that, he said, preacher, you're right. Our days are numbered and they're precious. I want to spend it in a different way. And he sold that stuff. Let's don't wait till the crisis comes. Okay. Let's, let's, to walk carefully means take a good 
Serious, strong look at your life. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump on to something that uh, you'll hate me for, but I'm used to it. Sports is a time killer. You know, I, I remember playing Little League Baseball. We had like, what, 20 total games or something? I don't know what it was. Dear Lord, now these kids, are, it's, it's year-round. And there's nothing wrong with sports. Sports, you learn a lot of good things from sports. It's not a wrong thing. But it has become the obsession. It has become in our country the road by which your child can gain fame. And, and parents are pursuing that with everything they've got. It's an industry now. And so that's, it's, it's, it's no longer a thing. Listen, when I was a kid, my favorite baseball player, Major League Baseball player, was Al Kaline. He played for the Detroit Tigers. You know what he did in the offseason? He worked at a sporting goods store so he could pay his bills. Now, you see how far we've come? Now, this guy was an all-star. It's not like he was just, you know, bench warmer. He's an all-star. But it, it wasn't everything. There's still life to take care of. But now we've come to this place where there's so much money involved in all of it. We, we, just, we just have dollar signs in our eyes and we're taking our children and we're giving them away. I was talking to a guy one time and he just said, you know, I'll get back in church after my kid's done playing ball in high school. When he graduates from high school, I'll get back in church. And I thought, that's really rich. You now have lost your son to the world. And secondly, God is really, really not interested in your leftovers. He's just not interested. Don't, 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 just don't. Just, just don't do it. And so the, the, you have to understand, some of these things are made by the world system. And I know people, are, well, you know, our team always has prayer before we play. Oh, that should change the world. Th- that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Where are we putting our lives to redeem the time? You have to give stuff up to get it back in order to use it for God. You just have to. And so you must look at your life carefully as a Christian and say, what do I need to exchange? These things may not be ungodly in and of themselves, but they are eating up the time. And the days that we have now are evil days. And the only way to combat that is to live for the glory of God with all that I have. If I just have a few days left, what am I going to do with them? Everything in the world tends toward evil. And let me just announce something to you. The next election of the President of the United States is not going to fix the problem of evil. Congress can't fix evil. And we waste our time. And the default setting in our lives is to waste our lives. How many of you do say this? No matter what you do during the day when you get home, what are the first words come out of your mouth? I'm tired. Is there anybody in here that's not tired? I'd like to find one of those people. I mean, mean, for me, I mean, I'm tired. And so, you know, it's just, you know, and, and listen, we're not saying there's no time for break. There's no time for recreation. We're not saying that. We're not saying no time for vacation. We're not saying there's no time to rest your body and your soul from all of the labor of the world. We're not saying that. that. That's not it. What we're saying is that when that becomes your lifestyle and you're just not engaging your life for the sake of the kingdom. Not at all. So that's to live productively. God has put us here to live productively. And what does productive living look like? It looks like bringing glory to God. Then secondly this. Spirit-filled living is living insightfully. Verses 17 and 18 tell us this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And please do not come to me after this and tell me how much you drink or don't drink. I don't want to know. This is not a lecture about alcohol. Okay, just some things keep to yourself if you don't mind. I mean, I grew up in an area of the world where the pastor had a little glass on the pulpit to clear his throat. And it was moonshine and not water. Okay, so just just cool it for a minute. Some of y'all get all bristled up. Oh boy, here we go. You know, with with a temperance lecture. That's not what we're doing here. Okay, that, that's it. just cool it for a moment. How do you live insightfully? Where well, there's a mandate here. He tells us, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The fool pays no attention to what God desires. Now, Christian, the will of the Lord is not this mysterious thing like at the Reds baseball game where you have skyline chili, you know, and you've got to figure out, you know, which one it's under. That's not it. 
Okay, the will of the Lord is not like you're trying to find, oh God, what's your will for my life? You know what His will for your life is. Glorify Him in all you do. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God that is to bring positive attention to Him. So you, you know what that is. But the fool is not paying any attention to that. They're wondering what are their own desires. God says in the Scriptures very clearly what pleases Him and what doesn't. This is not hard. But the unwise person does not search the Scriptures daily to understand more and more what pleases God. And so therefore, as long as they live, they live foolishly. And they're not able to get in their mind a view of what pleases God. So there's a mandate here for insightful living. Rather than being foolish, understand what is that God desires of your life. Also insightful living means this. There is a means to do it. There's a way that it happens. It's not by just willpower. Some of you have a strong will. And so you can set your mind to something and you can do it for a very, very long time. But I want to tell you this. You go by willpower, you may be carrying out the actions, but you're not getting the benefit. The means of doing this, the means of living according to the desire of God and to live a productive life and live a wise life, live a careful life. These are all synonyms. It's all saying the same thing. There's a means. He says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is looseness, where is excess, debauchery, whatever you want to call it. But instead this, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, how? How, how, do you, how are you filled with the Spirit of God? Okay, let's think about this. Okay, food and drink, they're meant to sustain us, not to detain us. Okay, they're not to capture us. We're to eat and drink to live, not to live to eat and drink. Now, I wish I was in a black church, Brother Barry, because all the sisters, they would go, yeah, that's right. We got all these white folk, bro, and they just kind of sit there, so it's fine. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. I had a, fellow, a pastor who had that black church and he had me come preach one time. And here's what they said. Keep on preaching. And they, an hour and a half. Keep on going, brother. Keep on. Those people kill me, man. They eat and drink to live. Not to live to eat and drink. Some of us live for food. We do. We just live for it. It doesn't mean don't enjoy it. He's given us all things richly to enjoy, right? It doesn't mean don't enjoy it. But it means some of us just live for it. It's all we talk about. Overdrinking impairs your thinking, doesn't it? Overeating impairs your alertness. And eventually your mobility and your physical health. Do you know how this works? Okay, so do this. Sometime don't eat any breakfast and go all day till about 2 o'clock. Till you're starved. Then go to Bob Evans. Then drive to West Virginia. You know what happens. You're all over the road, man. They're going to pull you over the breathalyzer and all they're going to get is grease. All right? It's a killer. Well, if you're a person that overeats a lot, you're lethargic. And you don't ever want to do anything. Oh, Lord. We've got to go to church. Oh. Why is that? Both food and drink are used by people to medicate themselves. And therefore, it impairs our ability to understand what the will of the Lord is and to live fully for Him. The opposite of being controlled by food and drink is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, being filled with the Spirit of God is not like you're a bucket and you're filled with some substance. That's not what it's talking about. The word filled here means to be saturated to the point that you are affected. Saturated to the point of being affected. Drunkenness is being saturated by intoxicating substances. And when you're drunk, it changes your decisions, it changes your judgment, it changes your abilities. Am I right? Doesn't it change that? Drunkenness is actually being used as an illustration here, though. It's being used as an illustration to explain to us what it means to be saturated, filled, controlled by the Spirit. 
When we focus on the Spirit of God's book, the Bible, fill our hearts with it, surrender to what the Spirit says, stir our affections for God through prayer, being helped by the Spirit of God, making every effort to be in fellowship with the saints, express our love to Jesus through praise and giving. While we are doing these things, the Spirit of God will be saturating our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We will begin to make decisions under the influence. See, drunkenness is making decisions under the influence as well. But it's under the influence of a different spirit. Making decisions under the influence of the Spirit of God. When we saturate our lives with the things of the Spirit, then we begin to live under the influence. And we have spiritual abilities under the influence. We live under the influence. The problem with many of us today is that we got saved and then we got sober. It didn't take us long until the things of God became dull to us. And we sobered up. And we lost the sense of the saturation of the Spirit of God. The Christian life is simply this. Living under the influence. Under the influence of the Spirit of God. That's all that it is. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know how I get that. I just told you. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But how do I get it? I just told you. Focus on the Spirit of God's book. That would be the Bible. Feel our hearts with it. Don't just read it. Fill your heart with it. Surrender to what he says in that book. Stir our affection for God through prayer and the reading of the word. Being helped by the Spirit. Make every effort to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Express your love for Jesus through praise and giving. Doing these things The Spirit of God will saturate your life through those avenues. And you'll begin to see yourself living under the influence of the Spirit. Rather than under the influence of the world. The greatest evil in the Christian life is not alcohol. The greatest evil in the Christian life is spiritless living. So then what happens? Verses 19 and 20 tell us the spirit-filled life. It will cause you to live productively, living insightfully, but also this, you'll be living joyfully. Look in verses 19 and 20. You want this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I heard a worship pastor going, Amen. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It should be 19 through 21. Now, Living joyfully. What does it look like to live joyfully? What does that look like in your life? If you are living under the influence of the Spirit of God. And by these means the Spirit is saturating your life. And you're living with a desire to please Him. That's what's foremost on your mind. How do I please the Lord? How do I do His will? How do I do His desire? So that's the grid by which I live my life. That's the principle. That's the motto that I have. I I make it my aim to please Him. The Apostle Paul said, I make it my aim to glorify God. So that's, that's what's going on in my life, in my heart, my mind. So then what does that look like around me when I do that? Here's what it looks like. Congregational singing. Now, can you imagine? What is that not what the Scripture says? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, here we find how God wants to be worshipped. God tells us, this is how I want to be worshipped. Now, let me help you with something. Please don't jump Pastor Dan after this. Okay, so Pastor Dan, I started just to throw you to the wolves, but I'm not going to. I'm going to protect you, brother. You can get me a birthday present later, okay? So, the word hymns. Okay, many of us, I, I grew up with hymn books of various kinds, and many of you did as well, and, and you have a longing, it's kind of a nostalgia for that kind of thing, and, and it's not wrong, it's, it's all good, but, but I just want to help you, brothers and sisters, when this, this text was written, there were no hymn books. Okay, so this is not talking about, that. see, told you, told you, Pastor Dan, we're supposed to be singing how great they are. Okay, we do sing that here, by the way, but I'm just saying, that's not what this is. Okay, let let the Bible speak for itself instead of bringing your culture into the Bible. Okay, let the Bible speak for itself. So, what what is this? What is it? Well, the Psalms obviously are songs based upon the Psalms. 
the early church sang the Psalms. Okay, so it's, it's that. It's based upon that. This morning we, we sang a song that was a, would be considered a psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, bless his holy name. It's from Psalm 103. Okay, so doing that. Then what are hymns? Or, or hymns. <clears throat> These would be songs that are New Testament, gospel-saturated things about Christ and his atoning death for us on the cross. What are spiritual songs? These are other songs that are meant to encourage Christian living. Things like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine. Those kinds of songs are meant to encourage the Christian life. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So those are spiritual songs that we sing trying to encourage one another in the Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So what, what we're saying is, That these are the kinds of spiritual songs that are meant, they're truthful, they're biblical, they're meant to encourage each other in the Christian life. So notice that this is meant to be sung in the context of the church. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong if you're singing in the shower. But I'm just saying it's not a replacement for addressing one another in these psalms. We're singing them to God, but we're addressing each other with this truth. This is why congregational singing is absolutely essential. If you're a person that you won't participate in congregational singing, then it leads you to this conclusion. You are not living spirit-filled life. Now, Pastor, I, I just don't sing. I bet you do. I bet you're just too proud to do it in front of men, too proud to do it in front of others. I bet you sing in a car. I bet you a dollar. Okay, so that's not that. You say, well, I don't have a good voice. I don't see any qualification here for that. Now listen, we're not going to put you up here to help us when you sound really bad. That helps no one. Okay, so these folks here are supposed to help us kind of find the pitch that we don't hit. Okay, so we're trying to do that. But that's not what this is about. But, but it's not about talent here. It's about the spirit-filled life. What, you say, well, I, I just can't sing. Say the words then. Read them aloud. Do something to participate. But the, the, the idea is we're addressing each other and we're singing these songs. This is the congregational singing. Then you have, what else? Living joyfully as a result of spirit-filled life. It's comprehensive thanksgiving. Now here you go in verse 20. Giving thanks, how often? Always. I, I, got, a, I got something for you. Instead of complaining about your church, why don't you thank God for it? Honestly. Honestly, what complaint do you have? Instead of complaining to Pastor Dan because he didn't, you know, sing your favorite song. Listen, one of these days, I tell you what I'll do. I'll get Pastor Dan in here uh, like all day on Saturday. You come by and put $5 in the box and he'll sing what you want. How's that sound? This ain't no stinking jukebox here, y'all. That's not what, what this is. I pay my tithe. Really? I, I pay my tithe to put up to you people. That's not it. You, you're, missing, you're missing it all together. So what is it supposed to be thankful? Be th- offering thanksgiving to God. Giving thanks always. Do you know what that is? Here's the hard thing. It's giving thanks even in the trial. You, you don't have to thank God necessarily for the trial. Sometimes maybe afterwards you can see a reason to thank God for it. But in the midst of the trial, you can't think of a good reason to thank God for it. But you can thank God in it. Lord, you're still God. I thank you you haven't abandoned. You're still here. Thank you that you'll get me through this one way or the other. You know, thanking God in the midst of it. Then consciously submitting to one another. And in verse 21 Submitting to one another. Putting each other first. That's what it means. Put each other first. Not thinking on your own thing only, but, but what are the needs of others? Being humble toward each other. Here's one of the biggest flaws I see in, in Christians uh, often today. Is this absolute unwillingness to think what is good for us all rather than merely what they want. What is good for us all rather than merely what they want. You see, you, you've got to be the kind of Christian that thinks about the entire congregation. What is good for us all? 
And what does the scripture say is good for us all? Consciously submitting to one another, humble in spirit. Listen, age does not give you an excuse to be cranky and pushy and mean. Instead, senior adults, we should be setting, I said we, yes, I can get the discount too. We should be setting an example of even when we don't feel good, things are not like we'd like them to be, things don't work right, even in all those things, all the irritating things that go with it, the doctor bills, all of that, that we can be humble and think about others. Spirit-filled living. It means this. Seek to live productively for the kingdom of God's sake, not for your own desires. That's what spirit-filled living is about. You need insight in order to do this. How do you get the insight? That insight does not come naturally. It comes by being filled with the Spirit, that is, being under His influence, being saturated with Him. Then you can enjoy the results of joyful living. Just basically this, Christianity is an inside job. It's the Spirit of God working in you and then through you. That's not a a call for you to be passive. On the contrary, the Bible gives us many commands. Look carefully how you live. Do your best to redeem the time. Don't do this, but instead do this. Address one another. Give thanks. There are all kinds of things the Bible tells us to do. But these are just avenues whereby the Spirit of God saturates your life more and more and more and more so that your total life begins to change. The way you live, the way you think, the way you go about your day, everything begins to change because you are now under the influence of the Spirit of God. Dear Christian, the question for us is this. Are you living the Spirit-filled life or are you living the self-filled life? What's your agenda in life? What are you aiming for? What do you hope to accomplish? What do you want your life to be? If you're a person who is outside of Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, a devoted follower of Christ, you really don't have any choice but to live the self-filled life. That's what it means to not be a Christian. You're living the So well, I'm a moral person. Yes, you, you, you probably are. I hope you are. I mean, it makes you a better neighbor. We want you to do that. I don't want you to come over and stealing my shovel. So I, I hope you are. But, but again, all of that is just a camouflage for the emptiness that's in your life. That's you trying to convince everybody else by your own will that you're as good as everybody else. Perhaps your actions are as good. We used to live next door to a guy that was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. Nicest guy on the block. Didn't make him a Christian. He lived under the influence of something else. Not under the influence of the Spirit. So, well, Pastor, I'm not a drunk. Well, that's good. You're not. But the question is, you're also not filled with the Spirit of God. Because the, the secret of Christianity is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The life of Christ welded to your life inwardly, to your very soul. And then he begins to live his life in you. And begins to change you little by little. But if you're not a follower of Christ. You have no other power at work in you. But yourself. And your own desires. You're not living for the glory of God. Even if you're a moral person. You're not living for the glory of God. You're living for the glory of yourself. That's the whole problem. So the the, the question for you today is just this. You can go to hell in two different ways. As a good moral person. Or as a debauched nut. But both go to hell without Jesus. You see, it's not about, uh, this is not a merit system where you get rewarded based upon you're a little bit better than the worst. This is not the top five get a trophy and everybody else slides off into hell. This is not that. The Bible tells us that even our righteous works are as filthy rags before God. Why? Why is that? Because we do it for the glory of self. We're doing it for our own sake. We're doing it for our own agenda, our, our own way of living. We're doing it in that way. We're not doing it for And you can't change it. You say, okay, I'm going to start living for the glory of God. No, you won't. You can't change it. 
unless Christ is in you. So here's what salvation is about. Salvation is about a life exchange. It is about taking your old life and giving it over to Christ and letting Christ give his powerful life to your soul. That's what salvation is. It's the great exchange. Life for life. You give Jesus your sins. He gives you his righteousness. You give him your old person. He gives you new life. You die to the person you were. He gives you a new birth. It's, a, it's an exchange. And there is no middle ground. You can't halfway die to self. It's a complete burial with no digging up the corpse. And when you come to that place, then Christ will raise you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the, as we might say, the secret of supernatural living. It's really just the spirit of God being saturated by him. His work, his work in us constantly and powerfully. I pray, Lord, for those followers of Christ here today, they're living well below the line of glorifying you. And maybe they've tried over and over to fix it, and they haven't fixed it. And they tried over and over to do better, and they've just forgotten that we are saved by grace, but we're also sanctified by grace. Lord, help them to look now to the Spirit of God and say, I've tried, I've tried, and i failed. But, oh, Holy Spirit, I'm looking to you now. Would you saturate my life with yourself? Would you help me to have the discipline to take advantage of all the means through which you will work in my life? To change me from the inside out, the way I think, what my goals are, my agenda for life, what my aim is in life, the reason that I live. Lord, work that in my heart and life so that I may live this joyful life that is highlighted here in the book of Ephesians. Lord, I pray for those that do not know Christ. They've tried and tried and tried to live up to your standard and failed and failed and failed. And they don't understand. They, they don't get it. And they start looking around for someone they can compare themselves to. But Lord, help them to see that the road to destruction is wide. And so, so many people are on it. Stop looking at the crowd. Help them to look to Christ. I pray, Lord, that they would see themselves undone under a sentence of condemnation, having a debt against them that they could never pay because of sin. And that they would look to Christ, their only Savior, who can rescue them from all of that mess. Lord, these things I pray that you do in our hearts by the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.